Okay, good morning. How's everybody? All set? Cool. Um, real quick, uh, we haven't done this in a little bit. So we're, we just sang a song, Shine On Us. Anyone have uh, something in the last two weeks you feel like God has shined on you? You're like, oh, that is, that is you blessing us. I, we're thankful for that. Like anything in your lives like that? I mean, I'm getting looked at by this guy, so that's pretty awesome. <laughs> And Noah. So there you go. Both of them. Anybody? Encouraging drive in the morning. I said, that's an encouraging drive in the morning somewhere. <laughs> you good. Cool. Thanks. Anything else? And you said, God has shined on us. Especially after you prayed so long for a new job, a new rhythm, kind of, you get to see each other some, which is awesome. Y'all seem to like that still, which is good. <laughs> Happy for y'all on that. <laughs> Not that it was touch and go, just saying. You know, I'm, glad, I'm glad it's good. But, uh, but I'm, I'm also excited, man. When we, 
Lily and I talked about your job the other day just a little bit, just the two of us, and it, it did feel like, like the sunrise for you guys. I'm glad. One more? I'm really excited that Tom's almost done with school. Nice. And it's just feeling real because it's like the end of the last real semester and then we just have two summers and one's left. So. Cool. Yeah, just like I feel like it's putting four year long in Texas. So just, yeah, thankful for that. That's cool. Anxious about that, but yeah, excited for him. Good. Good. We're excited for him too. Yeah. Pretty pumped. All right, let's do this. Let's turn to Acts 9. We're going to keep rolling through. Um, so this last few weeks, who have we met in Acts? Saul Paul. Saul Paul. Saul, Paul. I love it. Not Paul yet, kind of, but getting there. He's, it is Saul Paul, pretty much. And what's, what's the story behind Saul. Where do we first? Where is he first introduced to us? Prosecuting the early church, and right? Imprisoning members and, and killing others, mm-hmm. and breathing murderous threats yeah, on members of the way. Right. Robes as others stone. Yeah, yeah. It's not not everyone's favorite in the beginning, right? Doesn't, he's, he seems like, it's, it's interesting, the story starts as he's going to be like the antagonist of the story. And then we have this turn in chapter 9, when what happens to him? He meets who on the road? Yeah, blinds him. He meets Jesus on the road, blinds him, didn't eat or drink for three days, right? And then someone comes and does what? Yeah, pray for him and scales fall out of his eyes. It's an interesting part of the story I like. What else happens after that? Everyone excited that Paul's, or Saul is now a member of the way? He goes to the synagogue and starts proclaiming Jesus. And all the Jews believe him, right? Everyone's excited? No, still not. He's got to escape through a hole in the wall lowered by a basket because he's hit on his life. Yeah. He's lowered out of the city through a basket. It's a humbling experience. And then what? He goes to where? Jerusalem. You're right, yeah. He goes to Jerusalem. Everyone's, of course, very accepting there. Still no. <laughs> Barnabas was. Barnabas was. So what does Barnabas do? What's his role in the story? So he kind of vouches for, for Paul, for Saul. And says, yeah. You know, he's really on our side now. Yeah. Does anyone know how their relationship plays out? Paul and Barnabas? Later when he's Paul? They like go on missionary journeys together. They like live and work together for years and years. Right? They go and are imprisoned together. They go and almost get killed together. They're somewhere, and Paul gets stoned nearly to death later, and Barnabas is the one there with him trying to keep him alive. Like he's, it's, it's a really great relationship that starts with him believing and forgiving Saul. Right? Him saying, no, I'm going to be the first one to extend God's grace to this person who's imprisoned our wives and our husbands and our people that we love, that have met at my home. I'm going to extend grace and forgiveness to him. Let's all do this together, church. And they end up being a team for years and years, which is pretty cool, pretty interesting. But it, there's, there's this interesting time in Acts. There's this segue time that we're going to hit right now. The end of this chapter, 
And then the next chapter, chapter 10, we kind of get a the story, the narrative kind of changes. And, and, and we'll get there next week. But, but I want us to, to talk about this because too often um, from 31, we're going to go from 31 on through the end of the chapter. Too often, this is just kind of two stories in the midst of a segue, right? Between the introduction of Saul and then through how the Holy Spirit is going to change the way the church sees Hellenist through Peter, okay? So between there, though, there's these stories that end up just being stories when I think they're, they're uniquely important. And so I want us to talk about them, and I'll, I'll read it. And it says this, though. So anyway, so remember, though, Saul gets threatened again, and they're going to kill him. And so when the brothers learned of this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarshish, right? So Saul goes out of the story for a little bit. And then we have this. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So we have this window of, of peace within the church, right? That it start to be threatened. Someone had been killed. People are starting to be martyred. And then for this brief window, the church has peace. And in this peace, it grows and multiplies and people move freely and they talk about their faith and they grow together and they meet together. And so we have this really interesting time. And in that time, we have these two stories. Now, as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydia. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydia and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now, there was also in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity, and in those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in the upper room. And since Lydia was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging Peter Please come without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room, and all the windows, or all the widows, stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments Dorcas had made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside, knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. She opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. And calling all the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, who was a tanner. So we have these two very interesting healing stories here, right? The first one involves someone, what malady does he have? Paralysis. He's paralyzed, right? So he goes to see him. What town does he live in? I'm just going to ask questions that are obvious for a second before we ask the other ones. Lydia. Or Lydda. Yeah, I keep saying Lydia. It's not Lydia. He finds this man. He's bedridden for eight years, paralyzed. Peter says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise up and make your bed. Which is interesting to me. I am going to say that's funny that he tells him to make his bed. Just yeah. because. Just because why does he include that in the story? Why is that important? Why didn't Luke or whoever's writing it just be like, rise and get up. I don't know. Anyway, that doesn't matter. It has no spiritual significance, I don't think. We can try to make some. I don't think there is any. But he wanted him to make his bed. It's weird. So what, what other times, though, 
And here's what I want us to get to is in this section, in this, in this two stories, and as this next chapter proceeds, we, we have what seems to be, to me and I think to a lot, of, a lot of folks, seems to be, again, the writer of Acts is trying to parallel, because the writer of Acts also wrote Luke, right? So we have Luke and Acts coming back to back. The writer of Acts seems to be showing again that the disciples, that people of faith, do the same things Jesus did. That the Holy Spirit within them acts through them as Jesus acted. Does through them things that Jesus does, right? Do we remember a story of a paralytic that Jesus healed? Someone quickly tell the story. The one where they cut the roof? Sure. That is the guy's paralytic. He's like, I did. They cut the roof. <laughs> and his, friends, his friends need to get into Jesus so they find out that the house of Jesus is hanging out in. They cut the roof off and then lower him down. What does Jesus tell the guy? He says his friend's faith. Right. Super intriguing. But then what's he tell him to do? Make his bed. Pick it up. Kind of. What's he tell him? Take, a, take your mat. Yeah. He's like, get up and get your mat too. <laughs> get your mat and go. Right? Make your bed. Get up. Get your stuff in order. Clean up your mat. Don't leave it here. It's in your house. You already screwed up the roof. You know? Right? But we have, we have a very similar story that Jesus does. We have this paralytic who's been bedridden for years and years and years. The friends come, bring him to Jesus. They, it's a little more crazy and dramatic. They cut a hole in the roof, lower him down in front of everyone. Jesus stops teaching, the whole deal. But, but Peter also sees the paralytic, bedridden for eight years, tells him, get up. This no longer is going to hold you here. Get up. Let's go. Make your bed. Live your life. Other stories where Jesus heals um, Paralyzed people, do, do we know another one? There's another one I'm thinking in my head that's real. Outside the temple when it was the Sabbath. Yeah? What's he tell that guy? Yeah, he <laughs> just get up. Yeah, you weren't going to answer wrong. That was correct. <laughs> Tells him, get up. Yeah, he dances and enjoys himself. He's happy, screams, hollers, everyone's happy. And then he goes about his way, right? We, we have over and over again these stories of Jesus doing this. Healing paralyzed people, healing people with crippled hands, healing lepers, all these things. And then Peter comes upon someone in this town and the writer feels like it's very important to again say those things Jesus did, those stories I wrote about Jesus, the same things are happening here. The same things are happening in Lydda with, with the same people who are around Jesus. People that the Holy Spirit resides with are doing the same powerful, miraculous, fairly crazy things that Jesus was also involved with. They are doing the same. Right? And then we go to this other story. And they were in Joppa, a disciple named Tabitha, which translates Dorcas, was full of works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. They washed her later in the upper room, and they start mourning, right? They start grieving. When they hear Peter's close, they go get him after she's dead, right? After she's dead, they go get him. He comes, sends everyone out of the room, right? Tells her to wake up. Do we know another story like that? Has Jesus done something similar? What happens? What's the story? It's like a young girl, right? Right? 
And what does he do? He can't get there right away because what? Do you remember? He's mobbed by this crowd. And there's a lady that's been bleeding for 12 years. Right? We have that whole thing as the interruption of that story. Right? She comes, touches his clothes. He stays there. He finds out who it was or whatever. By the time he's still on his way, someone comes and they say, you know what? The, the little girl's dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. And he says, now she's not dead. And they're like, no, she's fully dead. Don't they laugh? They laugh. They go from like crying to laughing. Yeah. Just, yeah. The, the hired mourners out front are, are crying and weeping and wailing loudly. And then when Jesus comes and says, stop mourning, they laugh at him, which is, seems you're a terrible mourner if you broke composure and did that to me. I'm like, you, you are not getting paid. <laughs> awful, awful job. Like, that's incredibly insensitive, right? So they do this. Jesus goes up, and what does he tell her? You remember the words he says to her? They're not the same as this, but they're well, but beautiful. Doesn't he also clear the room? He does. Same thing, right? He takes Since everyone out of the room. Out. Yeah. Yep. And then what's he do? What's he call her? Do you remember? Which means? Uh, I don't know. I thought that was her name. <laughs> no, no, that's that's good, but it's not. No, it's like it's like rise up, my my sweet daughter. Okay. It's like a, a, a something you would say, not even like my daughter. It's like what you would say to your daughter. So like, um, sweet girl or something. You know, like whatever nickname you have for your daughter. I don't I don't have a daughter, but whatever nickname you would have for her, it's like that. It's like an endearing Jewish sweet name for her. Right? So he says that, takes her, he gets her out of bed, she goes and he presents her to the people. We are seeing, again, we're telling this story not just to tell a story, but to say that the same things Jesus did are happening in the midst of them. Jesus has been gone for a bit. But his actions are still being played out. His miracles are still being done. His words are being spoken. His, his hands and feet are moving about the world still. The Holy Spirit within people are, are engaging the world as Jesus engaged it. That is incredibly, incredibly important for us to remember. Because, I mean because of a million things. But because you are going to go to work tomorrow, overwhelmed. And you're going you're gonna to be just weighted down, and pressure's going to be immense, or whatever else. You're going to be worried about your family issues that are happening back home, or, you know, whatever. And, and we will quickly forget that within us resides the Holy Spirit, who enjoys to be with us. Who says, do not be afraid, little flock, for I am pleased to give you the kingdom. To hand it over to you. To, to pass the baton in your midst and have you run as me. Pleased to do this. And, and as the disciples walked about, they, they started to realize this more and more and more and live and walk in that. And so when Peter goes to see this, this woman who was sick and then now has died, maybe all he knows to do, because he saw Jesus do it, was to send everyone out of the room, pray for a bit, and say, get up. Wake up. And that's what he knows, and that's what he does, and she gets up and leaves. He goes to this paralytic, 
And he's seen Jesus do this once before, more than once before, a bunch of times before, and he says, get up, and while you're at it, make your bed as well, right? Let's walk about. You're, you're fine. There's, there's more to this than your paralysis. And as we walk about our day, to, to remember this would do us good. It will do your, your family and your children really well to remember that the Holy Spirit residing in you, sharing your life with them, is available for you to give to them, to hand to them. That the same forgiveness that the Holy Spirit within Barnabas gave to Saul and set him free to enjoy the church and to push it forward and to missionary everywhere, this forgiveness is available for us to hand out to each other, for us to give. When we are so frustrated or so angry or so hurt or ruined by whatever else, it is ours to freely give because Jesus, the spirit of Jesus Christ is within us, acting about us. And we're going we're gonna to hear story after story from here on that's, that's just like that. To, to show exactly the things Jesus actually did are actually being done by his people. We've, and again, we've had over and over. Do you remember Saul, when Jesus comes to him, what does he say? Is Saul, why do you persecute me? Remember we talked about that weeks ago. Saul says, who are you that I'm persecuting? He says, it's Jesus. It is me, Jesus, you are persecuting. Meaning, his people are his representation. Jesus said, you are persecuting me by persecuting my people. But again, we just have to, we, I feel like I have to, probably more than you, I feel like I have to get this somehow. This has to become known deep within me. Not just in my brain, if I'm talking to you about it, and not just trying to figure out a way to explain it, but trying to figure out why my self doesn't live that every day. That needs to be figured out somehow. I, I need to somehow understand why as Jesus walked about, as was his custom, he taught people how to live life. And as was his custom, when kids came around, he played with them and was silly enough for his disciples to be like, pump the brakes, you're being very silly. Okay, stop this. There's better things to do. Get the children out of here. If you bring them over, Jesus is going to play tag for like an hour. Get them away. Please, get them away, right? I have to remember that. When my sons wake me up at six to actually play and not be like, get out of here, right? But I'm serious. To where when for Jesus somehow had such authority with the way he lived that people came to him and said, how could I have the kingdom of heaven at hand? Why does no one come to me and ask me this? Why, why aren't co-workers... And yeah, we can be like, well, because it's odd. It's not. It wasn't, apparently. There was someone to say, how this kingdom of heaven that's at hand about you, how would I have that? Or to do these things, even. To heal sick people, really. And to really provide food for hungry people. And to understand how to do that. Jeez, to have a heart that the description of this Tabitha, this disciple, was her heart was full of good works and charity for everyone about her. That's amazing. That is the spirit of Jesus living through this woman. 
No wonder everyone mourned. No wonder they went to find Peter. Because this disciple had a heart full of it. Full of good works and charity. When are our hearts going to be full of good works and charity? When we're not busy, when we're not stressed, when we are here, when we're... When? You know? When I get a job that's more less stressful. When the record store finally is making records. When, once I'm married. Once my kids get here. You know? What, when is it for us that we say... I'm not accusing y'all of doing that. I'm just saying, like, that's me. That's the way I, I live. Like, the next thing. This, if I can get this bookend out of the way, then I'll be ready to do. The Holy Spirit is within us. Now, acting through us. And so, I, I want this to be short. So we need to stop talking. But what I want us to do is, is I want us to spend time in prayer and quiet before we enter a time of communion. And I, I really do. Because I want us... To, to, like, I don't know if plead is the right word for everyone, but I want us to ask with, like, intensity, God, really, I want to believe that. I want to believe that I can be full of good works and charity. I want to believe that you do the same things with your spirit that you did with your son through us. I want to believe Peter was as broken as me and that that's a possibility that I might live in that way. Right? I I want us to believe this. And I want us as a body, as a church, to, to kind of experience it among each other, but also experiment with it as we seek to forgive each other better. Or as we seek to encourage each other to do great things together. Or as we like really sacrificially give to each other. Really. As only Jesus could, giving himself away. As we seek to do that for each other, I pray that we would realize that not only we can, but we should and will. And that's the plan all along. The plan all along was to give the Holy Spirit, to give the life of Jesus to people, us, and send us to do that work. And I, I just want us to embrace and enjoy it. And again, I think we're, we're being told to remember, 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 that's the way this is going. That is the way this was intended all through Acts here. So let's do this. Let's, let's stand together. But again, we're just going to be quiet. And we're going to Pray that. Think through that. Some of us, honestly, you probably just need to say, Lord, please convince me your Holy Spirit is glad to dwell with me. I feel like some of us feel like God has to do something because he said he would by giving us the Holy Spirit. Like, well, you said you would, and so you're stuck with me. And that we feel like he's disappointed about that. You know? Like we feel like, well, I said I would never leave, so I guess I'll stay. That is absolutely not the mindset of us being given the kingdom of heaven that's at hand and being told to push it forward. It's absolutely not. God is pleased to give us himself. Some of us need to pray and say, please convince me of that. So Lord, we, we ask as we are thinking on you and as we are asking you and in our quiet, please 
still us with your truth. Please calm our angst with your truth. Please quell our fears with your truth. Inspire us to do as you did, to say as you say, to love as you do, to give as you gave. I just want to say this to some of you who are similar to me in this way. Maybe you're struggling with the same. Some of us are so burdened and weighted down, whether it be responsibilities or your sin or frustration or angst because we are not fully embracing the Holy Spirit to live as the Holy Spirit wants to live. It's not just having the Holy Spirit act in you in the midst of our current predicament or our current life, but also to push it and give it a trajectory towards something. It's like that idea of people try to get into fights because they're not already in a better fight kind of idea, right? Like this, we're not... Some of us aren't enjoying this life of Jesus and, and being filled with excitement and love and, and courage by it. And, and it's not this life to the full that we were dreaming of. And so the life we've chosen to be worried about and concerned about isn't, is not satisfying. And God, so in that we pray, please. Give us your life. Give us your motives, your actions. Let us be a part of that. Let us be a part of your story. With more and more of ourselves every day. In Jesus' name.